First, I'm going to give you a historical perspective of how we got addicted to oil so you can put everything in perspective and you'll understand the lies you're being told. I'm here to talk to you about lies. Then I'm going to tell you how, what it means that we are addicted to oil. And then I'm going to tell you how we can get off of oil right now. Now. Okay? Yeah. All right. My whole presentation is fueled by the BS that we've been hearing. So talk about methanol. I got it going in me. First of all, I'm happy to be here in Santa Monica. I took a left turn to get here, and it said this way to the electric charging facility. I thought that was great. It was a public sign. We need more of that. Okay? All right, how do we, I'm, I'm going to have to be very, very brief and fast, cover 7,000 years of history in about 20 minutes, then tell you how the hell to get off of oil in about 20 minutes, and then I want to take 20 minutes to answer questions. Where is Tracy? Tracy, cue me 20 minutes so I can stop my talking, and then when she will be responsible for dragging me off when you have further questions, blame, blame her. Okay. I'm on a 50-city tour. 300 events, and this is my next to last event. Just tomorrow at uh, one more in Westwood, then I finally go, go home. Now, I led a team of 50 researchers in some 100 uh, archives and repositories, everything from the uh, corporate records of British Petroleum and Iraqi oil to the personal unpublished papers of Thomas Edison and Henry Ford. And we uh, secured some 100,000 documents. And in doing so, we're able to conclusively show that everything you've been told about getting off of oil and about energy from the big media, from the big companies, from the big government is all either a bunch of lies, exaggeration, or distraction. And going back to the beginning of time, energy, fuel, transportation has been the domain of monarchists, monopolists, and manipulators. So let's get down to it. Now, if you already read my book, don't answer these questions. That includes you. Anyone here know the first fuel ever used in the civilized world? Anyone know? What do you think it was? Whale what? Whale. Whale oil. Anybody else got a guess? What do you say? Lumber? What do you say? Cow patties. Cow patties. Even where there were no cows. The answer is wood. It was wood. That's right. It was wood. Now, why wood? Because without wood, there was no smelting. Smelting made weapons. It made tools. It made coins, which was the means of economic exchange. Wood was more valuable than gold. Why? Without wood, there was no gold. So when a slave died, they just brought up another slave. But when a tree was felled, that was 10, 20, 30 years to replace that tree. And that is why all the conquerors of the ancient world, from the, from the times of the Mesopotamians to the Pharaohs, and I've seen the actual contracts with the Pharaohs, they're footnoted in my book, Internal Combustion, have always 
uh, based their invasions not on territorial conquest, but on riches. And the riches that they wanted was the richness of wood, the resource of wood. So you, so it wasn't the empty quarter of the Arabian Peninsula that they wanted for vast tracts of territory. It was a place with wood, like Cyprus. Everybody here in Cyprus? Anyone Greek here? Any Greeks? Anyone? Are you Greek? What does Cyprus mean in Greek? You don't know? It does, it means, does not mean tree. It means copper. Because they used Cyprus and all the trees on it to smelt copper. That gives you, that's why there's no trees on Cyprus now. Because they used them for copper. Can everybody see me in the back? Can you hear me in the back? Okay. Good. So let's take this up to medieval times. Let's bring it further. Anyone in, in the room heard of Robin Hood? You heard of Robin Hood? All right. Have you heard of Robin Hood? Okay. Now, all you smart people, why was Robin Hood hiding in the forest? Anybody know? Anybody know? Why was Robin Hood hiding in the forest? He's been taking pictures all this time. Who? What? For cover. Cover from what? From his enemies. From his enemies. Okay. Anybody else have a guess? Any lawyers in the crowd? Any lawyers? Anyone who was dated to a lawyer? Okay. Okay. Protecting the game. Protecting the game. Here's the deal. All the lawyers in California have heard of a concept called English civil law. None of the lawyers in California have heard of forest law. There was a parallel set of laws to protect wood. It was against the law in medieval England to use wood. Couldn't use it to heat your home, couldn't use it to make weapons, couldn't use it to cook, couldn't use it to build your homes. And the penalty for using wood, wood, was death. And even after the Magna Carta, the penalty for uh, using wood, what do you think the penalty was? Death. Worse. <laughs> Don't know. Castration. Ouch. And blindness. Both. They blinded you and they cut your nuts off if you used wood after the Magna Carta. Okay, so what this meant was as wood, because wood was protected, wood was the most powerful, precious resource in the world, there came a, the world's first fuel crisis. It was the wood shortage because they were building navies, they were building castles, they were building weapons, they were building they were using it industrially to, uh, uh, to uh, bake bread and to, and to brew beer. And so they had to turn to a new source of fuel. Anybody know what that fuel was? Did everybody read the book? Not cow patties. Get off the cow shit. What's with you and cows? Something we should know? Oh, I forgot I'm in California. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's right, coal. And coal was dirty, and coal was cancer-causing, and coal was polluting, and they knew it back then. Yes, the use of coal in the 1600s produced the first environmental movement, the first environmental laws, the first environmental, pro the first environmental protests. They actually began to measure the distance of the cancer rates from the source of the coal stacks. So whenever these guys want to tell you you're all just a bunch of hippies with your uh, environmental movement, just tell them it goes back to the 1600s and there's never been a decade when the environmental movement was not strong and furious and you are continuing that program to today. I applaud you all. Now, next, who was running the coal? 
Well, the cult was being run by a secret society that nobody in California has ever heard of, and there are no books in, in, in any of the libraries at UCLA on this topic. It was called the Hostmen of Newcastle. These were guys who controlled all the coal. And this was the world's first fuel cartel like, o, like OPEC. And uh, because they were keeping the price high, they were a, uh, always bribing people. So there were, um, when they tried to regulate them with the new election of the, uh, of the parliament, etc., they would flood the market with coal. Price would go down after the election, pull back, price goes back up. That's how they've been doing it for centuries ever since. Now, this outfit that controlled the coal, how did they control the coal? Not because they mined it, but because they transported it down rivers. That's how you got coal to London, down the river. And that means that you could own all the coal in England, and if you couldn't get it across the Thames or down the river, London would starve and freeze that winter. And what does that mean to us today? You can have all the oil in the world, and if somebody in Iran wants to shut down the Straits of Hormuz, you're going to starve and you're going to freeze. And I'm saying this because I want you to understand all this baloney you've been hearing about 10 and 20 year time, timelines is just crap. We ain't got 10 or 20 years. What's coming to us will not come at a time of our choosing. It'll come when we're least expecting it. Okay. So... We've got these guys to host the host men, and they're controlling all the coal. And they developed this machine, a heavy machine, to pump the water out of the coal, the coal mine, which was flooding all the time. What was that machine called? Who said that? That's right, a steam engine. And when they put that steam engine on wheels, what did they call that? A locomotive. That's right. And these locomotives opened up vast tracts of territory. Okay? And because of that, and they, and they did something else. Locomotives changed mankind. Locomotives allowed man for the first time to uh, uh, confront speed. Until locomotives and still trains, man could only go 5 to 15 miles an hour on a horse. But with a locomotive, a man could look into the wind and go 100 miles an hour. And optically speaking, just from the central nervous system, they could not look to the sides without seeing only a blur. They could only focus right on front. And that's what's happened to man ever since he confronted velocity. He cannot see what's around him. He can only focus on what's in, what's in front. Now, these, uh, these vast distances that opened up England and Europe and uh, in America needed a means of communication. How did they communicate along the railroad lines? Anybody have an idea? The telegraph. Who said that? You're right. And how did they power the telegraph? Electricity. Where did electricity come from? Some kind of generator. Some kind of generator. No. Who else has an idea? Batteries. That's right. You read the book. Good. Batteries. Good. Now, where did these batteries come from? That's an interesting question. The fact of the matter is that the batteries were invented and proliferated in the second half of the 19th century. Galvani, you, re, you, you remember, hi Mark, Galvani, if you remember, um, uh, uh, was dissecting a frog and, a, and he observed a spark in the uh, 1700s. Let's see if I have a picture of that. Hold on here. 
Uh, here is a picture of Galvani's frog, 1791. Gal Galvani's frog, okay? And so there was a spark, and he said, oh my God, there's electricity in frog legs. It was actually the, the metal of the knife hitting the plate underneath that caused an electrical charge. And they learned eventually that two disparate metals connected by an appropriate medium would cause a charge and a discharge, and that would give us electrical energy. And no one has ever been able to understand it. Not even Thomas Edison at the end of his career when he was interviewed. When they said, what causes electricity? How does it work? He said, I don't know. And I'll tell you, with all you big engineers in the room, there's not one of you, nobody alive, who knows why electricity works. That is a gift from God to all mankind that gives us power from the movement of subatomic particles. So they've got these batteries, and they called these batteries, now take note, all you guys, with your Blackberries, they called these wireless, these uh, batteries wireless. They were wireless electricity. Now there are three types of electricity. There's the... Uh, well, first of all, does, any, does anybody know where electric, when electricity was discovered? When was electricity discovered? You're the elect, universal electric vehicle. You don't know. How about you? You're with the electric car company. When was electricity discovered? When was it discovered? Yeah. Tell me. Okay. When was it discovered? Go back to the Baghdad battery. Go back. Baghdad battery. That's a good idea. The word electricity is a Greek word. It means amber. It goes back to the ancient Greeks, and they observed that the amber uh, gave off static electricity. So there's three types of electricity. If you discount the Gypsy Kings and what was going on with me last night at the Beverly Wilshire, the three types of electricity are static. It was a great night. Static electricity the Ben Franklin type of lightning electricity, and generated electricity, the Thomas Edison electricity. Those are the three types of electricity. Now, when you could store that in a battery, okay, you could move the electricity from the site of capture to a telegraph or anything else. Now, these batteries were high-tech, okay? And, and as a result of that, they were under the domain of the corporate manipulators, the bank fraud guys, the swindlers. And they would promise these batteries that either would not work or they were overrated or they were exaggerated. It's kind of like a Bill Gates type of a thing. And, and uh, batteries acquired the reputation of thievery, okay? So uh, eventually, they could get the batteries to, to, to work, and they put the batteries on a horseless carriage. Now, anybody know when the land speed record for a mile a minute was set? Electric vehicle company, when was it set? Stop asking me these questions. You don't know, do you? When was it set? When was it set? 1900. 1898, you're both wrong. It was 1899. <laughs> Are you two working this out in advance? 1899. Outside of Paris. Electric battery car. Mile a minute. And you know why? Because all the cars, never mind the movie, all the cars over 100 years ago were electric vehicles. Now, I'm sorry for all you guys who saw the movie and thought it just happened a couple of decades ago. All the cars were electric cars. So, let's talk about 
What happened to the electric car? Not what who killed the electric car movie, what really happened to it. These are the facts. By the way, my book is completely footnoted with about 1,500 footnotes. So, after the American Civil War, there are a bunch of crooked corporations, okay? And uh, there were monopolies galore. There was a wool monopoly. There was an oil monopoly. There was a cotton monopoly. And there was a bicycle monopoly. All you guys in transportation. But nobody here knew that there was one guy in Hartford, Connecticut, who controlled all the bicycles in the country, who could buy one, who could sell one, who could build one. And he was with the Columbia Bicycle Company. His name was Colonel Pulp, and he controlled it how? How did he control it? How did he control it? How did he control it? Patents. patents. Who said patents? That's right. Patent litig litigation. He had the patent for a bicycle, and if some guy in Missouri uh, were to build a bicycle in his backyard, he'd bring down his lawyers from New York and sue the guy's pants off, and so it was better not to have a bicycle. So there was a bicycle monopoly, and there was a battery monopoly. So the bicycle monopoly got together with the battery monopoly to make a super monopoly called the electric vehicle monopoly. 1899, not 1999. And this electric vehicle company is around today. Excite Technologies, the people who make the little batteries that go into your flashlight. Same, it's the same company. And what did this company do with the electric cars? Well, this company with the electric cars started running taxi service all up and down the East Coast, the West Coast. They had lots and lots of taxis. And they were delivering stuff in trucks. And they were delivering bread and furniture. And all the cars were made out of electricity. All the cars were running on, on, on batteries. Um, this was very important because the battery was clean. The battery car was clean. It was efficient. It was push button. And it didn't stink. Now, why is that important, that, battery, that, that the electric car didn't stink? Anybody know? Anybody know? Horseshit. That's correct. There was a lot of horseshit in America. Not talking about Washington, D.C. I'm talking about the whole country. There were 20 million horses in the United States in 1900. And there was horse shit everywhere. And the point of the matter is more guys died in the Spanish-American War from mosquito-borne diseases from horse dung than from gunshot wounds. And there were, there were cobblestone streets. So every time it rained, there was rivers of horse dung and horse pee-pee going all over the place. You couldn't walk around. It was a sanitary problem. Horses were dropping dead uh, uh, every hour in, in the street. They were pulling all the trucks. They were pulling all the mills. It was, a, it was a form of power. So when the electric vehicle came around, they said, fantastic. We can go from here to there cleanly without any problem. And it's easy to use. It's just a push button, just like today, just like your Prius. Okay. Oh. Ten more minutes for talking. Oh my God, you're gonna listen. You're gonna miss the best stuff. Okay. Anyway, wow. Okay. So what happened? Well, what happened was was this: the guys who had the internal combustion machine, who said we can we can go further and faster with our car because it has a small explosion in it. They thought that the electric car was a girly car. 
They thought that their car, which had a lot of rumble and stink and smoke and uh, took a big crank, was a He-Man car, like a muscle car. So the electric vehicle company, which was not a bunch of tree-hugging guys that whistled Peter, Paul, and Mary, it was the... it was, it was the fat cats from Wall Street. They said, we're going to put you out of business. So they had big litig- litigation for a whole, a whole bunch of years. And then the internal combustion machine makers, the guys like uh, Cadillac and Dodge and Olds, those guys decided, let's stop fighting each other. Let's join forces. And so the internal combustion machine guys got together with the electric vehicle monopoly to make a mega cartel to control all the bicycles, all the batteries, all the trains, all the electric cars. We're talking 1903. And they jointly decided then to abandon the electric car and to keep internal combustion cars expensive, made one at a time, available for only people like bank presidents and aristocrats and that's what they thought would rule the transportation. One guy stood in their way. He wanted to make an internal combustion machine that everyone could use and that guy's name was? That's right, Ford. Big anti-Semite, Hitler's buddy but before he became Hitler's buddy, he was the hero of my book in the first decade of the 20th century and in 1903, Ford said I'm going to make these machines to show we have the liberty in this country to drive a car. And they said, hey, you make a car for every man, we're going to sue your pants off. And that's what they did. They said, we're going to sue your, you, your company, your suppliers, your dealers, and your customers. And so consequently, when you bought a Henry Ford Model T for 500 smackers, here's a typical ad from the Detroit News. You got a warranty and a lawyer, <laughs> a defense. After seven years of brutal litigation, Henry Ford won, and then came uh, and uh, he was allowed to proliferate the electric car. It went all over the United States, and it was dirty, and it was stinky, and it was smoky, and he realized that he had won the battle but lost the war. And he decided to have a secret project with Thomas Edison to return the country to electric battery-operated cars, okay? And lo and behold, every time Thomas Edison sent these beautifully working batteries out to Detroit, they broke down, they tested bad, they were put in wrong. He said, you guys are messing, you're giving me false testing, you're tampering with my batteries. And then when he said, I'll make a tamper-proof battery, all of a sudden, Overnight, his entire lab complex burnt to the ground, even though he had fireproof rooms and a fire brigade uh, right on premises. Then came World War I, 1914, and that was the end of the beginning of clean electric revolution in the United States. You know how he wanted these cars powered? Not off the grid, off of windmills in the backyard and generators in the in the basement. True independence. Remember, infrastructure is the four-letter word of alt fuel. They wanna they wanna confuse you. They want you to wait for inf- for infrastructure. Now I only have a couple minutes left, so I'll just tell you this. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is how do we get mass transit? There were 
15 billion boardings of clean electric trolleys all over the United States. People loved them. In 1935, the federal government passed the Public Utility Holding Company Act that declared the utilities had to divest themselves of their trolleys. Five uneducated bus drivers from Minnesota showed up with millions of dollars. It was the National City Lines. It was a front company, a scam operation. They bought up the trolleys. They, they pulled up the tracks. They paved them over. And then they, uh, they burned the trolleys, or they sold them off or put them for scrap, and they replaced them with gas-guzzling motor buses. And who was behind this? General Motors. General Motors led a criminal conspiracy with Mack Truck, um, uh, Standard Oil, Phillips Petroleum, Firestone. Fire they were indicted. They were tried. They were convicted. They appealed. And their executives were also convicted. It, three branches of government have all concluded that General Motors led this conspiracy. They wanted to do it to hundreds of cities. They did it to just 40, everything from Galesburg, Illinois, to Tampa, to, San, to, to, uh, Los, to Los Angeles, to Baltimore, to Beaumont, Texas, and they were fined. Now, $5,000 for each company, except for Standard, they were $1,000. And how much were the executives who planned this criminal conspiracy fined? Anybody want to guess? How much? $100? $1. All right. I'm out of time. I'm going to take questions. Wait a minute. I'll make it fast. Plug-in electric, hydrogen, no corn ethanol, sugarcane ethanol, cellulosic, hydrogen. The answer is not for everybody in this room to buy an electric car. That will never work. If you buy a million cars a month from Honda, in a year you still have 220 million cars on the road. $232 million. There will be no mass purchasing without mass production, no mass production without mass purchasing. Find a guy who controls a fleet. Two more minutes. Find a guy who controls a fleet. 28,000 fleets. Nova Southeastern University in Florida, 400 cars. Krispy Kreme, 4,500 cars. Federal Express, 44,000 cars. United Parcel Service, 88,000 cars. Federal Government, 600,000 cars. Got it? If these guys say, I will never buy another hybrid, I will never buy another high mileage petroleum car. I will only buy an electric car. I will only buy a hydrogen car. I will only buy a CNG car. And CNG is something we have now as a bridge technology. Honda makes it. If these fleets start faxing their purchase orders in to people like Universal Electric Company, Honda, Anyone who can make an off-fuel car, all the little fairy tales they've been telling you about infrastructure and everything will go down the tubes, they will fill those orders, and all of a sudden, we will start the green revolution, and from the fleets will have public access, and from public access, we'll, we will be able to have a true replacement of 30, 232 million cars. And remember, they will kill the climate in decades. They will kill your lungs in years. They will kill your checkbook, your personal bank account in years. But the petroterrorism, 
the petropolitics where we are funding the people who want to buy airplane tickets to fly into the World Trade Center, that's what makes this a today imperative. We don't have 10 years. I hope we have 10 months. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, get off of oil and ask me your questions. This is the short version, but it's all I could do. What's your question? Who's, who's got a question? I just wrapped up a two-hour speech. And what's your question? announcement that you are going to be having a book signing after this uh, if people want to talk to you individually. After I speak, they've uh, snookered me into doing a book signing and, and you're invited to buy the book. I will sign the book, but remember, however many books you buy, I will never get a royalty. What's your question? Uh, how do we go about, you said hydrogen. Yeah, hydrogen. I believe that uh, Right now, making hydrogen from other fuels and so on is not cost-effective at all. All right, the guy says, is hydrogen from other fuels cost-effective? Forget about cost-effective. What the hell does that matter? That's right. That's right. Cost-effective. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Solar wind biomass. Look, 3,000 dead Americans. World, World Trade Center. We're hostages. The true externalized cost of gasoline is not the price you pay at the pump. It is fifteen to fifty dollars a gallon. It takes seven gallons of gas to make one gallon equivalent of hydrogen. How do you make the hydrogen? Okay, there's three ways to make the hydrogen uh, currently that we know. And remember what Einstein said: two things are infinite: the universe and our ignorance. <laughs> And what we don't know and what I don't know about this topic will fill a, a universe. Now today, today, when I started my book two years ago, Honda and all these guys were saying 10, 10 years. Then, then about a year ago, they said, well, three years. And now it turns out that uh, BMW is going, in, going into the Hydrogen 7. Honda's telling us we're going to have the home energy station in two years. And even GM is making the sequel. And I support them all. I support all the alt cars. But how? There are three main, main ways and many, many more. The first main way is to get the home energy station from Honda, which is made by Plug Power. I've seen it. It's ready to work now. And this will take the CNG that's in your home and those places where you have CNG, and that is a bridge technology. It's got tons of problems. I know what they are. It's a fossil fuel, but it's here right now. You crack that, you electrify your entire house, get off the grid, and you can fuel a car. CNG. Second of all, electrolyze it. I was just in Vegas. They're taking water and converting it with sunlight into hydrogen. Okay, to fuel the cars. In, in Southern California, I'm told you have both water and sunlight. The third way, bacteria. The, I'm, I'm from Rockville, Maryland, where they do the, all the genetic en engineering. They're currently, they're currently generating hydrogen from bacteria. And they're trying to, to manipulate the genetic structure of that bacteria to, um, uh, to be as efficient as the bacteria that dissolve oil spills and things of, that things of that nature. This much I know. Dragging black crap out of a hole in Saudi Arabia and pulling it over the bodies of dead Americans so we can run lawnmowers. So we can run lawnmowers. 
and go 25 miles a day and go down to the 7-Eleven and get a half a gallon of milk, that's a very, very expensive gallon of milk. Next time you ask me about cost effective, ask me this. When your Aunt Sadie needs to get her dialysis done, what is her cost effective answer? Next question. What's your question? Who, who has a question? You don't, why don't you have a question? What, what did you learn? Okay. Who has a question? Anybody else? What's your question? Yes. From the Clean Cities Movement. Go ahead. If you were king for a day. King for a day. What would be the policy or policy you would implement to get us going in the right direction? I'm so happy you asked. If This is the second half of my speech they wouldn't let me give. First off, the 51 cents per gallon corn ethanol subsidy that's going to the oil companies would be stopped immediately and everybody who, and everybody who voted in would be fired. Second of all, the 54 cent penalty uh, per gallon on Brazilian sugarcane ethanol, which is eight times more potent than corn ethanol and does not take a gallon to a gallon and a quarter of petroleum products and burn a bunch of coal in the process, that would be revoked immediately and Southern California would be the first to get it by every means, including pipeline and every other means. Third of all, I would... I would mandate that the federal government abide by the EPAC legislation and follow its its obligations and have alternative fuel cars. I'd get the post office, which has decentralized, um, I would have decentralized uh, parking lots all over the country to have reformers that the public could use and that uh, other uh, other municipal agencies would use. I would stop the stretch limousines. I'm actually working on a program now. The day the oil stops. You won't do it until it happens. You were threatened in 1973 with an oil shock. And in 1973, while Brazil was getting itself 100% independent, you guys were out there taking navigators, escalades, and excursions. And just remember this. For all the collusion and conspiracy in my book, the unindicted co-conspirator is the public. And public policy. Nobody ever put a gun to somebody's head and said, drive an Escalade. These cars will go down the tube. Honda will be forced and pressured by purchase orders to produce more cars. Chevro uh, GM and Ford, which makes millions of CNG cars for other countries, will have to make them for the United States as well. We will use CNG as a, as a bridge technology. Remember the Jeep. Everybody know what the Jeep was? Anybody know who made the Jeep? Where the Jeep came from? That's right. It was made like that overnight to launch the Normandy invasion. We can do this before the oil stops. We can do this now. Manhattan Project, right? How much the Manhattan Project cost? Anybody know? How much? A billion? $25 billion in today's money. $25 billion. That's about three months of Iraq. I'm speaking $2005. It was 25 it was 20 to 25 billion dollars. Disney World cost 20 billion dollars. The uh, Alaska pipeline cost 20 to 45 billion dollars depending upon how you how you figure it out. I do not want an incremental sensible step by step 
solution to getting off of oil. I want it done now. I want it done dramatically. And I want everybody to find a fleet manager, shake him by the nuts, and tell him no matter how many cars are in your fleet, 400 or 400,000, convert now to CNG, electric, plug-in electric, true flex fuel, hydrogen, make your hierarchy of purchasing, and purchase no more, uh, no more ICEs, and let the ones we have run into the ground, keep repairing them, and then you'll see the change. I got a few more ideas, but I don't have time. Who else has a question? So um, I got a mandate through Hold it. I would tobacconize the internal combustion machine. I would, because these machines are killing us. And if anybody came here in an Escalade, they killed us more than the guy who came here in a Volkswagen Beetle. And we've got to remember that. We've got to consider we're in a true crisis and people are not taking us seriously. I promise you, at a point of not of your choosing, the oil will stop and then everybody will be grab-assing to figure out how the hell did we get here and how are we getting off of oil. These, these here people here are from the electric, Universal Electric Vehicle Company. Why the hell can't the, the uh, agencies and corporations give them an order for electric cars? They're ready to make them. There's a lady here from CNG. She's got cars that can go with Honda. They want them now. But it's not enough to order a thousand cars from Honda and then nothing. They need to keep the production lines going. Taxi cabs, 100,000 vehicle fleet in the country, 33,000 turnover every year. Use your head. What's your question? How would you ban the internal combustion? How would I ban the internal combustion? I would sign a piece of paper and I would say, you are banned. <laughs> Using the grid system? No, the current system. The current system? Current system, that's the problem. I've already explained to you that government and authority has never been able to do, to do this. What I would do is, what do we do now with cars? The cars are regulated. The type of gasoline they use, nobody can drive leaded gasoline. That's against the law. Nobody can drive without a muffler. That's against the law. Here's another thing. Stop talking mileage standards. Forget about it. MPG is a big distraction. Just use your time and your resources to get off of oil and tell people to buy electric cars, CNG cars, hydrogen cars, okay? All the different types of oil. They want you to talk hy the hybrid in MPG. You know why? It's like putting smack in your heroin. It just extends your addiction to oil. Don't fall into the trap. Hybrid, look, the... the the, the F word that we want to use in getting off oil is fleets. That's the word that bugs them. Because once we figured out fleets, then they're going to have a demand that they cannot resist. Find a fleet manager. The legislation, they're going to do it anyway. If the gasoline stops, they're going to start doing what they do in Europe. They're going to have alternate different days, depending upon your name or your number, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They're going to start banning cars that don't get 30 miles a gallon. They're going to ground the limos, the stretched navigators. They're going to do all of that. It's going to happen anyway. My only point to you is this. Do you want to figure this out before the crisis, the day before the crisis, or the day after the crisis? Who else has a question? What's your question in the back? Biodiesel, great. I'm all for it. I eat lots of food that can be recycled. I'm going to recycle some later on today. Uh, Biodiesel is great. Any of these different forms of, of fuel 
are absolutely perfect. Biodiesel, um, sugar cane, anything but corn ethanol is what I'm ad advocating. Start wrapping it up. And I was told I had to be academic about my comments about ethanol, so I'm being very academic. What's your question? What's yours? Because she says, why can't the law be changed right away? It's going to be changed. The day Iran stops the Straits of Hormuz, it's going to be changed. When we don't have oil in this country, they're going to make emergency regulations. The infrastructure is there. The detached uh, distributed generation is there. You don't run your air conditioning off of City Hall, do you? It runs in your backyard. Why not generate your own electricity in the backyard? We've got nano solar right now that will be embedded into the surfaces. We've got um, CNG in home filling units like the fill put out by the fuel maker company that comes with the Honda. You'll never see another, uh, another uh, gas station again. There's a guy back here, he owned, how is your CNG car, Mark, is it good? When's the last time you went to a gas station? CNG, compressed natural gas, okay? Honda's the only company in America that, that makes it. We can do this on our own. It just takes willpower and public policy. There is no public policy. Let's demonstrate the willpower. Who else has got a, who else has got a question? What's your question? Um, what percent of Brazil's fuel comes from oil and what percent comes from sugar? What percent of Brazil's fuel comes from oil and what percent comes from uh, Sugarcane. I think more or less now, and it's changing by the minute, literally by the minute, it's been like a two-year uh, sudden rapid to turnover. Currently, or by the end of the year, approximately 100% of the uh, cars will be dual capacity. Sugarcane ethanol, E100, and fuel. And I think that uh, uh, the uh, tip... Uh, um, because that's the case, uh, the legacy is going more and more down and down and down. Remember, there's 232 million cars out there. You need me to get off the stage? They can ask questions at your book signing. They can ask questions. I'm not going to be long at that book signing, guys. So anyway, but I will be there, and I will tell you. You have a question? What's your question? Okay. Who are you with? It says media. Uh, what kind of media? APM sites. AP? Yeah, print, radio, and TV. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay. You get the magic wand, you get the police to go in. Right. Where is the tipping point that the individuals, us in here, can buy these? Ah, he wants to know if I get the fleece to cook in, when do the people get, this will be my last question, I'm out of here. When do I get the, um, uh, how do the people get in? It's very simple. If UCLA or the Santa Monica City Fleet gets their own fueling center, make it public accessible instantaneously. That's how we're going to allow the, uh, the, the public and private fleets to extend themselves out and for individuals like you and you and you to either charge your electric cars, uh, refuel your hydrogen cars, battery cars. Let me show you something. Look at this, guys. And then I'm out of here. See this? 1910, General Electric had the Electrant. For Thomas Edison, looks like a parking meter. You're supposed to um, uh, uh, pull up, 
park, shop, and recharge. You don't have to. You don't have to be. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You need to excavate it from when it was buried a hundred years ago. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Truth to power. Power to truth.